the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I appreciate more than you know that you would take the time to tune in and listen. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Maybe you heard something in church this weekend that you didn't understand, or maybe they saw something that seemed off to you. Um, Whatever's on your heart and mind, I will do the best I can to answer. All you have to do is call us area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, I tell you every day the safest way uh, to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for the main number, 340-9585. Hope you had a great weekend in church. Um, uh, we had a lot of really cold people. But other than that, it was a good time. A lot more people showed up than I thought would show up on a cold, cold, rainy Sunday. But we had a great day, and I pray that was the case uh, wherever you went to church as well. Uh, very quick note, because it's Monday night, uh, tonight we have all of our uh, men's, women's, and youth Bible studies here tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, Nancy Jones will be teaching the ladies, and... You can watch that live stream at calvaryessay.com. Pastor Ken teaches the men, and of course, uh, we've got high school and junior high school Bible studies going as well, and child care, uh, where your little ones will learn about Jesus too, but just in a different environment. So all of that's tonight, starting at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Let me get to some questions. Here is my first question from our mobile app. This came in late on Friday, so I hope I'm not too late um, to answer this question. Um, but it's anonymous. It says, invited to a granddaughter's five-year-old party with a vampire theme. Your thoughts? Um, I, I took an informal poll. Um, you know, we had, I don't know, 11 or 12 kids in here just a little while ago praying for the program as they come in every, uh, and these are kids from uh, first grade up to, to junior high school. Um, uh, every weekday they're here just before the program. And so I took a poll. What do you think? And they thought, oh, I think that would be cool. I think that'd be cool. Well, you see, that's why kids need adults. There's no reason. Let me rephrase. I'm speaking to Christians. I'm assuming that this is a Christian. There's no reason that Christian kids should be exposed to these books. Now, I'm not a, a, a book censorer. Um, I, I'm not one who's looking for the boogeyman under every rock. Uh, but, but, but these are really, really 
divorce. I, I assume you're talking about the um, uh, Twilight uh, series of books. They're very, very popular. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm f- embarrassed by how popular they are among Christian teens. Um, but that's the, the world that we live in. I just can't see any reason to expose your kids to them. One of the girls in here, she is, I think, a sixth grader. And um, she wants to see it because all of the other kids in the school are talking about it. But her parents won't let her see it. And so she didn't even know that Twilight was a vampire theme. All she says, well, everybody else likes it. And I want to see it so bad. But uh, when I told her, I said, well, see, your parents love you. Now, I'm not implying that this child's parents don't love uh, her. But we've got to protect them. And that's just too young. Now, I don't think teenagers should be involved. Those books are very uh, sensual. Um, They are um, desire awakening at times. Uh, I just think that our children need to be brought out of the world and not into the world. Now, I'm not one of those who is on a bandwagon against Harry Potter books. I'm not on a bandwagon against anything. I love the fact that kids read, and I love the fact that they're reading nonfiction and fiction alike. But there are just some themes that are a little bit dangerous, and our children don't need to be exposed to them that quickly. That's my view. Uh, I've just told, and I see how innocent I am about this, I was just told by my producer here, that it's also a movie series. Uh, I just am not sure that those are good things to do. I would talk to um, your child, your her mother or father, um, and say, what are you thinking? I, I just, I'm just not sure it's a good idea. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for live calls. Here is a question from uh, our email inbox. This time from Nacho. What is the significance of the lady and her sister in Second John? Are they metaphors for churches, or are they really women? Uh, Nacho, people have been arguing about this for centuries. Uh, who, what is the identity of this chosen lady? Some people insist that John is referring to the church in general. Um, the reference to church is in the feminine form. That would be very unusual for John's writing style, certainly a contrast to his previous letters. Um, on the plus side of that view is the addition of the term chosen, which would indicate uh, at least to many that John is referring to her election as a people of God, predestination according to foreknowledge. Uh, but even if that's so, the construction here would be a very awkward way to make the point. So I personally think that it's improbable that John is referring to the church. Uh, much more likely, and it makes more sense as you read the context of the letter. Let me um, read the, the, this is the introduction to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also, who, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which is innocent will be with us forever. Uh, my view is that he's addressing one particular woman in, in my perspective, not you. It's the only thing that makes sense in the context. There is one difficulty with this, and that's the absence of a definite article in Greek. Um, if that were there, it would demand that this this woman be thought of uh, in the singular. Uh, now, there's precedent for one person being spoken of in the absence of a definite article. It's just not the normal way of doing things. I think that John was writing to a woman, uh, most likely in response to some questions that she'd posed to him earlier. This would have been somebody that she knows or that he knows and uh, is very familiar to her. Now, that view begs the question, why didn't John identify her? Let me suggest three possible reasons, uh, even though the truth can't be known for sure. Uh, The first is that identifying her could be dangerous for her. To be marked out in that world as a follower of Jesus could mark this woman as a target for the enemies of Christ, so he would have been protecting her. Second, uh, he may not have identified her because he knows that she knows who she is. In fact, she's the one submitted the questions and he's answering. Um, there'd be no need to call her by name. The third reason, and I'll close with this, uh, is is even more simple. 
Uh, John was writing only as the Holy Spirit led him to write. God breathed, the, the Holy Spirit pushing the pins of men. Uh, that would mean simply that God didn't want her identified. Once this letter was taken into the canon of Scripture, um, there was a purpose in her not being identified for all of us. Uh, when I taught this passage, it's been quite some time since I taught Second John, I told my church uh, that Sunday morning that, that that day we're the chosen lady. So uh, I hope that helps, Nacho. There's lots of reasons, and nobody's ever going to be able to determine for sure uh, what's the right answer. So I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Elizabeth. Pastor Ron, do you think Adam and Eve will be in heaven? Elizabeth, I do. Uh, we're not told specifically, but remember that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus um, um, would have instructed them uh, to, uh, to, to provide an offering for their sin. We know that's also true because Cain and Abel were arguing over the offerings that they'd been given. So there was a new way of approaching God. It was by blood sacrifice. You remember, uh, Elizabeth, when uh, they found themselves naked and they were ashamed because they'd done wrong, because they'd sinned. Um, um, The next time we see them, they're covered with fig leaves. They're trying to cover themselves, and that wasn't going to cut it. So the, the following time that we see them, we see them with a, a, an animal skin um, being used as, as clothing. I always imagine that, that the first death in the garden, the very first death would have been at Adam's hand. Remember that God gave Adam dominion over all of the animals. Basically, they were pets. And in a perfect environment, once marred by sin, Adam himself had to kill the animal used to provide clothing to cover their nakedness. My point is their sins were covered. Uh, we will see Adam and Eve in heaven. And um, I'll bet for a whole history of the world, the time that they've been in heaven with Jesus, I bet people been saying, what were you thinking? Couldn't you have left that one fruit tree alone? So, Elizabeth, that's the best I can do with that one. Thank you. Um, let's go to a caller we've got waiting, James from Seguin on line one. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, yes, sir. I'm turning my radio down. I, I was studying Hebrews um, around Hebrews 2, 10 through 13. And I was reading where someone had made a comment and said, in reference to, and again, behold, I and the children whom Jehovah hath given me, primarily these children were Isaiah's two sons. They were to be for signs and for wonders. Um, But God used them in this particular place in Hebrews 2 to represent the brethren. Uh, sons of God being brought to glory. Um, I'd like to just hang up and listen to you uh, explain that for me, if you would. Okay, I'll do the best I can. Thank you very much. Uh, You know, James, I just taught that this past Friday night. Actually, I started uh, in verse 14. Um, So when we we got through that... um, uh, coming to the end, of the end of the chapter, and I think you said through 18, did he? Didn't you not? 10 through 13. 10, oh, 10 through 13. Okay. That, was, that would have been the, the study just before. So um, let me go back to that passage of Scripture so I can read it. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting, appropriate, that God for whom and through whom everything was made should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, obviously, that's a reference to Jesus. Love involves sacrifice. And Jesus suffered for you and for me. We can share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, the the, the important thing, uh, and we'll go through these verses very quickly, but um, the only way the promise of man's dominion over everything, and that's what the context of the passage is, The only way that could be fulfilled was through the humiliation that Jesus suffered in his incarnation. 
um, Jesus was suffering for us. Um, and then he says this, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call uh, them brothers. So this is a reference to humanity. Jesus became one of us. One of the, the, the unbelievable mysteries that, that we won't have solved, James, until we get to heaven, is that Jesus became fully human so that he could redeem those of us who are humans. God couldn't die for the sins of man. Man had to die for the sins of the man. It had to be a perfect man. So this isn't uh, um, uh, a reference to um, anything other than Jesus becoming a man, walking in his humanity, uh, bringing his sons to glory. Now, um, there's a couple of reasons, two things that are true. Uh, that any leader, a, a, a true leader, must do. First, a leader must walk in the very path his followers are going to walk. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done first. That means it was appropriate that he should suffer. The second thing is, a leader must be followed. When it says he brings many to glory, um, you know, a leader that without followers is not really a leader at all. So we've got to be willing, if we claim Jesus is our Lord, we have to be willing to follow in his footsteps, even in this matter of suffering and persecution. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I like even better the way Peter puts it in First Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then in Romans chapter 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So this is just uh, an exhortation to follow our leader, Jesus, even in his suffering. Now, that's really important. I think one of the things we have to remember, James, is you read Hebrews. If you lose sight of the purpose of the letter, then there's going to be a whole lot of confusion. Paul, I believe the author to be Paul. There are people who disagree with me, of course, but the author is writing to a church uh, of, of Jewish converts to Christianity. They have suffered for a long time. If you read the entire letter, you'll find out what they've been going through. They, they, they rejoiced in the early days when they suffered the loss of their property uh, because of their faith. They were willing to take a stand in the face of persecution um, uh, because they were they were so radically committed to Jesus Christ. Well, now there's a whole bunch of time that goes by. Hebrews has six warnings. The first one, and this is the way chapter 2 begins, the very first warning is a warning it's drifting away. And over time, for a lot of different reasons, they drifted away. And the persecution continued, and we know what it's like when you just get tired of being persecuted. And... They were being told that they could avoid persecution. All they had to do is reject Jesus Christ and return to their Jewish roots. And the whole letter written by, I believe, the Apostle Paul is designed to tell them, no, you, you, you know better, you did better at one time, hang in there, it's going to be okay, fight the good fight. And and Jesus is our example. Jesus suffered for you and for me. He was our leader. And if we're going to follow him, then we've got to be walking in the light because he is the light. I'm going to be, uh, James, if you are interested at all, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be in chapter 3, starting chapter 3 this Friday night. Uh, in fact, I was just working on that Bible study today. Uh, but all through, with each of the warnings that you read through the book of Hebrews, understand what was going on in the church and what the Apostle Paul was trying to protect them from. Thank you, James. I hope that helps. Here is a question from uh, Art. He says, when people identify as Lutherans or Calvinists or whatever, does it mean that they're worshiping men 
instead of Jesus. Uh, no, I don't think so, Art. I think we, uh, the human condition has always been such that we identify ourselves as being part of a group. Uh, we remember that Christians were first called Christians in Antioch. Prior to that, they were called the way. But, but humans classify and categorize other human beings. And in the process of doing that, it's simply a matter of identification. Now, I know some Lutherans. They certainly don't worship Martin Luther. Uh, I think, I've said on this program before, I think there's a lot of problems doctrinally with with uh, what Lutherans believe. But I can also say that I think most Lutherans truly are born again, and they love Jesus, and they're worshiping Jesus. Now, with the other extreme, Calvinist is not a, a denomination, like Lutherans are a denomination. Uh, Calvinism refers to uh, a theological treatise of the scriptures. Um, and and I'm going to say this and hope I'm not misunderstood. I have met men and women who identify as Calvinists who truly do worship Calvin. The problem is, is the modern day perception of Calvinism is far different from what John Calvin ever imagined it would be. That, that John Calvin would look at the five points of Calvinism today. Uh, he wouldn't recognize a lot of his doctrine, a lot of his theology. Um, so I think they're misled. Uh, I also think that, um, um, you know, you, you can have a tendency to identify with the man instead of Jesus. Um, but it is also true, Art, that most Calvinists are born-again Christians. Um, most Calvinists love Jesus. And there's nothing heretical about their position. I can say it's wrong. Uh, I can say it misrepresents the heart of God. But it's not heretical, and they are part of the family. So whether somebody is a Lutheran, a Calvinist, um, a Methodist, or any other denominations, um, um, that's okay. Uh, let me talk for a moment about the Methodists. Um, I wish I could say about the United Methodist Church that it is um, a, a church uh, where most of the people there are born-again Christians, because that's just not true. Um, it is a, a real tragedy. Um, United Methodist Church has thrown away the Bible a long time ago. Um, uh, very secular in its thinking, and um, that's something that I would stay completely away from. So... Um, just because they identify as a Calvinist or a Lutheran or a Methodist or something else doesn't mean that that they're worshiping men instead of Jesus. All right, one other thing about the about Lutheran or about uh, Methodist, you didn't ask John Wesley, um, who was um, maybe the hardest working evangelist in the history of the church. He and his brother Charles, the the, the numbers of times they preached per day. And they had to go on horseback to do it. Um, he was a true lover of the souls of men, and he wanted people in heaven. And if John Calvin would come back and visit the United Methodist Church, he was the the, the, the creator of the Methodist Church, uh, his heart would be absolutely broken by what he sees. Here is a question from Jason. I can do this one in a couple of minutes we got left. Okay. Uh, Jason says, does a funeral have to be in a church and do we have to be buried in a cemetery? Jason, here's the great thing about your question. It gives me a chance to tell people what happens to your body after you've gone to be with Jesus. None of it matters at all. We've made the funeral industry a billion-dollar industry, billions-plus, multi-billions in this country because uh, business knows how to capitalize on our superstitions and they know how to, 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 to make a lot of money as a result. So, no, a funeral doesn't have to be in a church um, and you don't have to be buried in a cemetery. I, I've said this before in this program. I get a lot of questions about cremation. Uh, Paula and I have both... Uh, prayerfully decided and discussed um, that, that cremation is what we're going to do. It would just break my heart if Paula would spend any money at all on disposing of this old tent when, when it's time for me to go to be with Jesus. Um, this 
this old body is the last thing I'm concerned about or, or certainly want her to have to deal with. Um, I have a selfish reason for Paula. I, not, I, I don't want to see her buried in, in the ground. Uh, I just can't imagine um, my beautiful, beautiful wife being eaten through the skin and the eye sockets and turning just to bones in the ground. I, 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 you know, she's with Jesus. I don't want to think of her in those terms. I don't want to go visit her in a, in a graveyard. Um, I want to think of her in the presence of Jesus, full of joy like she's never been able to imagine before. So you can do the funeral anywhere you want to. There doesn't even have to be a funeral if you don't want to do that, Jason. Uh, and uh, what you do with your body has absolutely no bearing at all on what goes on in heaven. Um, and you won't care. I promise you, you absolutely won't care. Um, think about the many service members who've died in the battlefield and, 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 and many who've been buried at sea. Um, do what you want. We have 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the show james if you're still listening uh, it just occurred to me that you asked who the many sons that were being brought to glory were and i hope i answered that but in case i didn't uh you are one of those many sons, James, and I'm one of those many sons. Jesus became human so that we who are fallen humans can be redeemed and brought to glory. And I can't wait for that particular moment. Jesus could be coming at any second. 340-9585. Here is a question um, from our email side from Robert. He says, I was accused of hate speech in a college class for saying homosexuality is a sin. What will happen if Christians can no longer publicly believe what the Bible teaches? Robert, that's going to be that moment where Jesus draws that line in the sand. I always call it a, a line in the spiritual sand. And Christians are going to decide on which side of that line they're going to stand. I mean, think about this. What you've believed or or what you believe has been believed and accepted by the huge majority of people for 2,000 years, for the entirety of our country's, our nation's existence. And just in the last few years, suddenly that can be accused of hate speech. There was a story that came across my desk um, Friday, uh, Robert. Um, there was a uh, there's an actor. I don't know him or what he's done, but uh, his name is Chris Pratt. I guess he's pretty famous. And and he, uh, he, he he's accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he's gotten pretty um, outspoken about his faith. And uh, he goes to a church uh, in Los Angeles um, where uh, the teaching uh, on homosexuality is that it's sin. And um, um, he, he, he tweeted something, and, and uh, one of the, the people that are constantly um, talking about uh, Christians being haters, a woman uh, tweeted back and said, well, well, uh, what about your pastor? You go to a church that is anti-homosexual and, and is filled with hate speech. Are you going to denounce that? Um, that's the world, Robert, that we live in. That's the world that we live in. So what's going to happen if Christians no longer publicly believe what the Bible teaches? We're going to have to choose. Are we going to stand with Jesus or are we going to run away and hide from him because it gets scary because people won't like us or people will say bad things about us. 
if I were you, Robert, in your college class, and I was accused of hate speech, I would ask the professor, what basis do you classify the traditional Christian faith that's been in existence for 2,000 years and has changed the world? A belief that's been accepted by our nation from the very beginning by the overwhelming majority of people. What would you say to them? Turn it into an opportunity to witness. Not only will your professor be listening, but there'll be a classroom full of people listening as well. Unfortunately, this is the environment in college um, uh, classroom setting. And, um, you know, what's even scarier, Robert, is that we pay money to go be told those things. Okay, Chris Pratt, I'm just being told by my producer, plays a character in the Marvel Avenger universe called Star-Lord. So that's who Chris Pratt is. Pray for him. He's a Christian, and in Hollywood, to be an outspoken Christian uh, is really going to be poorly received. So I hope that helps, Robert. Um, Here's an interesting question anonymously. How far sexually can an unmarried Christian couple go and not be sinning? Sex outside of marriage is sin. If you're touching body parts with somebody you're not married to, you are in sin. You can kiss. You can hold hands. But keep your clothes on. And you know the answer to this question when you asked it, Anonymous. Keep your clothes on. Honor the woman and the man that you have. Honor them by being faithful to God. If you want God's blessing on the relationship, you've got to do things His way and not your way. Let's go to Jim on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, Jim. You've been teaching. You've been teaching out of Isaiah, and I was reading the book of Isaiah the other day, and I came across. Chapter 5, I think it's verse 20, and how ironic that is, that good will be evil, and evil will be good. And I'm, I'm talking about maybe he's they're referring to the end days and this abortion thing and all this stuff that is going on with our at our nation's capital. So just wanted to get your comment on that, and uh, I'll hang up. Okay, Jim, thank you. Uh, by the way, just for, for Jim and for anybody else out there, I just taught Hebrews, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, two, uh, two Fridays ago, I mean two Wednesdays ago. And um, I think Hebrews 5 and 6 are two of the most important chapters in our Old Testament. Now, when it was written, I said Hebrews again, my producing, Isaiah. See, I got three Bible studies going. We got Luke on Sundays. I got Isaiah on Wednesdays and Hebrews on on Friday. Uh, what Paula always tells me when, as we're getting older, she says, "Ron, it's not going to get better." So please forgive me for for misspeaking. Uh, but I think the the two chapters, Isaiah five and six, are two of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament, and 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 they're written. Um, it's it's a warning of judgment. Now, we know historically that the judgment came to pass. It didn't have to. Isaiah was sent to speak to people so they'd repent, but God knew they wouldn't repent. And so everything that he warned them about was true. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, in the end, when it gets close to this judgment, you're going to be living in a world where being uh, where, where good is called evil and evil is called good. And God, because of that, brought judgment on them. I think the verse, I think it's verse 18, uh, is even more telling. It's it, it's it's a, a prophecy of you'll 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 pull your sin along the public streets behind you with cords of deceit. And what he means by that is they'll be in the streets sinning publicly. There's no more shame, no more blushing. Uh, uh, th- there's nothing that's off limits. And when I taught this, Jim, I likened that to a a gay pride parade where uh, the the most horrible ungodly things are done in full public view and people are marking up their bodies and dressing. I, I talked about the, the women's march that we had a couple of years ago uh, where women were wearing 
uh, vagina hats and and uh, doing uh, unseemly, ungodly things out in public and being proud of it, trumpeting their sin, pulling their sin along behind them with cords of deceit. We live in that time. And it was prophetic for Israel. It's not speaking of the United States of America. But we can look at the history of this world, Jim, and we can see that whenever people have been given over to themselves, given over to this wanton lust, judgment has always followed. Every empire that's ever been at the forefront of the world scene has fallen apart because of their sin. And what do they do? They justify it. And that's what we do. We justify homosexual marriage. We justify killing 65 million babies. And as if that wasn't enough to brag about, recently we've got, uh, led by the state of New York, of course, we've got these other states rushing to legalize killing babies right up to the point of delivery. And people are applauding abortion for any reason at any time. That's Isaiah chapter 5. And we live in it now. And make no mistake, God's not going to spare the United States. He hasn't spared Egypt. He didn't spare Babylon. He didn't spare Greece or Medo-Persia. He's not going to spare us. We've turned our nose at God. We're like the book of Revelation in the Great Tribulation when men are sitting in caves hiding from 100-pound hailstones that they know are sent by God and shaking their fist at Him. Well, we've been shaking our fist at God for a long time. Now, uh, Jim, the, the thing that we have to remember is God is patient. You know, when uh, Isaiah was given that prophecy in chapter 5. There was just under 200 years before Nebuchadnezzar arrived and destroyed them completely. God is patient. He'll be patient with us. Our responsibility, I think, is to pray for revival, that men's and women's hearts would turn once again to that which is good and call it good and stand for what is good. It all has to start at the church. Jim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Here's an anonymous question. I'm hopeful that my boyfriend will ask me to marry him soon, but he says getting married is unnecessary. He says it's just a piece of paper and that we don't need that, a piece of paper, to be married. Uh, anonymous, I've heard this um, a hundred times over the years. And she's the boyfriend says, oh, it's just a paper. Here's what I can tell you with 100% accuracy. If he thinks a marriage certificate is just a piece of paper before you get married, if you ever convince him to marry you, he'll treat it like it's nothing more than a piece of paper. I'm also assuming from the tone of your question that he also has the benefits of marriage, probably the two of you having sex together. No wonder he doesn't need a piece of paper. So here's what you need. You're writing into a Christian radio station, I'm assuming that you are a believer. You need to get rid of that unbelieving man. You need to get rid of him. God loves you too much. Paula would say to you, she'd look in your eyes and cry, and she would say, you just don't know your value to God. The worst thing that could happen to you, Anonymous, is if this man asked you to marry him. This is God saving you a whole bunch of pain. So please, please, please choose Jesus instead of this man who doesn't think you're worth getting married to. Sorry to be so direct. Um, Here is a question from Richard. Richard says, what are gay people supposed to do if they cannot change? Richard, that's a great question and one that we really need to be willing to deal with as Christians. If we're going to tell people that their chosen lifestyle is sinful, we've got to be able to show them where it's sinful in the Bible. 
And then what we got to do is tell them that their responsibility is to do what everybody else is asked by God to do, and that's to deny themselves and walk with Jesus. If I change one word, what are single people supposed to do if they cannot change? If a single person can't get married, then he's supposed to be celibate or she's supposed to be celibate. If somebody is attracted to uh, the same gender, then they're going to live their lives celibate if they're going to be able to call themselves Christians. It's that simple. Now, I say it as though it's just a matter of fact, and and the answer is always easy, but Richard, the the outworking of that isn't so easy. Um, Imagine how difficult it is to have normal sexual urges and be unable to fulfill those urges. Again, this isn't just a gay question. This is a single-person question as well. The Apostle Paul said it's better to remain unmarried. That way I can devote all of my time and energy to serving the Lord Jesus. But he says it's also good to be married. God himself said it was not good for men to be alone. But if you're not married... We're called to live a celibate life. I don't mean a life where we look at pornography and relieve ourselves that way. But we're called to live a holy life, a celibate life. And then Jesus' words to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, is something that we'll learn experientially on our own. I know in our culture it seems almost mean to tell somebody that this is a part of their life they can't enjoy. But Christians have been telling people this before the, the, the homosexual issue in our country ever uh, arose. We've been telling our daughters, save yourselves from marriage. We've been telling our sons, treat these girls with respect. Honor God by honoring your body. We're not to give in to, to lust like the heathens do. The Spirit of God lives in us, Richard. And I know people who are attracted only to people of the same gender. It's not their fault. This is a fallen world that we live in. But I also know people who are living fulfilling and rich lives serving Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, Richard, what uh, a a woman who came out of a lesbian lifestyle uh, doesn't mean she found a man. She's not suddenly attracted to men. But she told me, she said, for me, Pastor Ron, it came down to whether or not I wanted to be with this woman that I loved or if I wanted to go to hell or heaven. If I chose her, I'm in hell. If I chose Jesus, I'm in heaven. That's what we've got to understand. So, Richard, that's what we're supposed to do. All of us are supposed to deny our flesh. Not to be controlled by our flesh, but to deny our flesh and so to the Spirit that we can reap spiritual blessings. So I hope that helps. Here's a question from Alessa. I hope I'm saying that right, Alessa. It's one E. uh, I'm sorry, one E and one S. So I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, And she says, should I pray to the Father or to Jesus? Alessa, it doesn't matter. Just talk to Jesus. Just talk to Jesus. I think we have a a misunderstanding about what prayer is. It's not getting on our knees in a dark place and saying, uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Now, it's true that we have access to the Father because of Jesus. That's what in Jesus' name means. But it's not a formula. It's not a lucky rabbit's foot that we can hold on to. And God has to answer our prayers. Jesus is God. So when you're praying to Jesus, you're praying to God. You're praying to the Father. You're praying to the Spirit. You're praying to the Son. Why? Because they are one. They're the same. They're different, separate, and distinct. But they're one, complete and total unity. There is no jealousy in heaven. There's no uh, ever a situation where the Father is seeing him saying, all those people are just talking to you, Jesus, and they won't talk to me. No, they're one. They're completely one. So pray to the Father, if that's what you want to do. Pray to Jesus. Pray to the Holy Spirit. But remember, prayer is just conversation. Talk normally. Um, Unless I don't know where you are, 
But if you can't get here this coming Sunday, I'm actually going to be teaching on the Lord's model for prayer out of Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to address some of these issues. Not only that, but Jesus is going to implore us to pray and tell us how to do it. And then he's going to encourage us to do it without ceasing. And so I think you'd be um, uh, blessed by the Bible study coming up uh, this Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So pray to whoever you want to pray, but just talk to him. Just talk to him. Jesus became a human. That was James' question at the start of the program. Um, Just pray to him. Jesus became a human so that we would have that privilege. 340-9585, six minutes, about six minutes left. Uh, Mitchell asks, can I explain replacement theology, what it is? Um, replacement theology is heresy. Um, uh, it's always inspired by the, the enemy, the devil. Um, replacement theology is simply saying that the church of Jesus Christ has replaced Israel in the plan of God and that all of the promises God made to Israel have now been inherited by the church. I can't tell you how evil and how wicked that is, Mitchell. Um, the promises God made to Abraham, if God can break a promise to Abraham, he can break a promise to you or me. If God can break a promise to David or to Moses, he can break a promise to you or to me. So if God didn't mean that the promises that he made were yes and amen, then there's no way that we can know for sure that he means the same thing for us. So Israel has not replaced, I'm sorry, the church has not replaced Israel. They're two completely separate dispensations. And the promises made to Israel are for them. And believe me, they will be fulfilled. Israel nationally, not to individual Jews. Individual Jews get saved just like you, just like me, Mitchell, by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the cross, Hebrews 11 saints and everybody else looked forward to the cross by faith. They believed God's word. We who live on this side of the cross, we look back at the cross, but the cross is at the the, the fulcrum of history. And the only way to get saved is to look at that cross. Remember when Moses lifted up the serpent. He said, look at this serpent and you will live. Well, Jesus, like the serpent, was cursed. He became a curse for us on that cross. Galatians says, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus became cursed so that the curse could be removed from us. And nowhere does that impair the promises God has made to his people Israel. Read, it's difficult at times, Mitchell, but read the prophecy of Zechariah because it shows the unbridled joy when Jesus appears and Jews recognize him. About one-third of the Jews alive at that moment are going to recognize him. Where did you get those wounds? He'll say, I got them in the house of my friends. And their hearts will be changed in an instant. Now, two-thirds of the individual Jews who live are going to reject them and die. But God's always had a remnant. And in that last day, he will fulfill all of those promises to Israel. Here's a question from Nancy. That reminds me, Nancy Jones will be teaching tonight. Ladies, you will be blessed. They are in the book of Judges here at 7 o'clock or at calvarysa.com. Nancy's question, this is a different Nancy, not the same Nancy. Uh, I've heard you say that Mormons are not Christians. How can you say that? They believe in Jesus, his death that saves us from sins. Well, Nancy, I say it because their Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Their name Jesus is just that. It's Jesus. They might as well be somebody you know named Jesus. Because the only Jesus that saves is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God and God the Son. And Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, sort of the good half of the the, the twins. Um, we know more than that. We know better than that. One of the really sneaky things that Mormons do is that they use the same language. They just pour completely different meaning into the words. 
You ask a Mormon if they're going to get to heaven, they can't tell you. And yet they'll say, yes, I'm saved by his blood, by his death on the cross. But only God can forgive sins. So if their Mormon isn't God, or I'm sorry, if their Jesus isn't God, then they're still lost in their sins. They believe that eventually they could work their way up to being little gods, just like Jesus. They believe that Jesus was a man who became God. But that's just the opposite of what we know is true. So Nancy, don't get caught up by the words that they use. Find out the meaning that they pour into those words. And I can tell you that Mormons are a cult. Uh, we lived for 12 years in Phoenix, Arizona, Mesa, Arizona, and six years in Phoenix for six years. A huge Mormon population. They're wonderful people. Um, I wasn't saved then, and they were the great friends. Um, that's why we need to be able to tell them the truth. Because if we tell them the truth, that means there's a possibility to get to heaven. And by the way, Nancy, there is a big move of God's Spirit going on right now um, among Mormons. I've got a friend who pastors a church in Idaho Falls. Idaho has the, the, the largest Mormon population uh, as a percent of the population uh, in this country. And people are getting saved. They're turning from the, that which is false and turning to the truth. So don't be fooled, Nancy, by what they say. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. It's a great honor and privilege to be here with you every day, Lord willing. I'll be back here on AM 630 The Word tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.